If you have your Bibles, it is time to turn to Scripture. Today, scripture's reading, today's Scripture reading is found in Genesis chapter 12. We will be reading from verses 1 through 9. And as always, it will be on the screens in front of you. But if you have an Aranda Sanctuary, but if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions um, that um, they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moray. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Let's continue worshiping together. Creation, fall, flood, and the nations. We covered that last fall. And today we'll begin to look at the lives of four great men. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I love studying the Old Testament because I love to look at men of God and women of God and see their lives and see where they trusted God in the midst of difficulties and also see where they fail sometimes to trust God and yet we see God's grace. I I love the Old Testament because of these lives. We'll see today throughout this series, we see a focus in Genesis on God's choice and care of His people, the nation of Israel. This sovereign choice begins with the call of Abram, or Abraham, as we see his name will be changed. The book of Genesis covers more than 2,000 years, and yet it spends almost a third of its text on one man, Abram, or Abraham. Now these are the generations of Terah begins today's passage and signals the beginning of one of the most important stories in the Bible. We're looking at the story of Abram, better known to us as Abraham, and the covenant that God made with him and his descendants. Terah, we read in verses 27 through 32, had three sons, Abram, Nahor and Haran. But Haran died in Ur of Chaldees, the land of his birth, while his father, Terah, was still living. Haran was most likely the eldest of Terah's sons. He was the father of Lot. In verse 30, Moses, the author of Genesis, says, Now, Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Moses makes it very clear that Abram's wife was not able to have children. Her infertility tests Abraham's faith and drives the story 
of his life. We're informed in verses 31 and 32 that Terah took Abram and his family and moved from Ur of Chaldees. It says they headed for the land of Canaan, but stopped at Iran and settled there. And Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. And we know from Joshua and other passages that Terah initially served the moon god. He and all his family. But Genesis 31, we're told that Abram and Nahor and their father, Terah, worshipped the one true God. So somewhere along the way, God touched their lives and they came to a saving understanding of God. God in his grace, and this is the great thing about looking at people's lives, God in his great grace reached down and touched a man, touched a family that did not know him and called him out and created a people devoted to himself. In Genesis 12, verses 1, we read that God says to Abram, Leave your native country, leave your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. The core of this story is the principle of God's sovereign choice. Of an individual. God's call on Abraham was pure grace. We see nowhere in the passage that he deserved it. Nowhere is pure grace. That principle continues today in our lives, doesn't it? After all, if we're in Christ, he chose you and he chose me. It's interesting that God called Abraham to leave home when he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Nehemiah in Acts says that the Lord God chose Abram and brought him from Ur of the Chaldeans and renamed him Abraham. Evidently, God's initial revelation of himself to Abram was so powerful and convincing that his father, Terah, was not only persuaded but took the lead in, in, in moving. And unfortunately, the caravan stopped at Haran instead of going on into Canaan. There the pilgrimage seemed to bog down and it would seem stagnated for many years until Terah, the father, died. Today in our own lives, there are many people around us who respond to God's call and they've left. They left that gross sin in their lives they moved to Haran, which means barren. They didn't continue because they were unwilling to follow God. We need to remember that spiritual compromise affects us. Well, God was patient with Abram. He was young in his faith and had much to learn about God, and God wanted to teach him. If you started your journey in Christ more slowly. Maybe you have fallen. God desires that you walk with him. He wants you to get back in the journey. He wants you to run that race. While our faith grows slowly, it's evident that God will work in our lives. He wants us to take steps of trusting him. After hearing of his call, Abram made a commitment to obey and to follow God. In verses, verse 1 again we read, read, Leave your native country, your relatives, 
your father's family and go, go to the land that I'll show you. God called Abram to give up, to abandon everything that he felt secure in. To give up his safety, to give up his livelihood, to give up all his possessions. He says, leave your country. Then it gets even smaller, more narrow. Leave your relatives. And finally, leave your father's family. Probably here a reference also to losing one's inheritance. This must have been agonizing for Abram. It was compounded by the sense that of God's vague order. Go. Go to land that I'm calling you to go. I'll show you. This certainty, uh, uncertainty rather, must have forced Abram in a, in a powerful way to trust God more, to forsake all things. Of course, today that call of the gospel is very similar. Jesus said, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In Matthew 8, 35, Christ says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The gospel calls on us to trust the word of God and nothing else. And when Jesus calls us, he doesn't guarantee us this bright future or even what it be like. He does promise to be with us. He does promise that he'll take us with him in eternity to that ultimate good in heaven with him. But he doesn't promise us it will be a smooth journey here on earth. He doesn't promise us a life of ease. And if you and if I am looking this morning for these kind of promises before turning to Christ, then we'll never come to him. We'll never come to him because he calls us to trust him and trust his word and nothing else. The word when he says to Abraham, Abram, go, literally is go by yourself. And it can emphasize that loneliness and isolation. Abram needed to find his own place, his own identity, by separating himself from the familiar. Put yourself in Abram's shoes or his sandals. He probably would have liked to have stayed in Haran. Maybe he would have liked to have gone back to Ur, where he met his wife and where he married her and where all the family was. And why should he leave his home? Ur was a progressive city. They say now maybe up to 250,000 people live there. Archaeologists in recent years have discovered a royal cemetery where rulers were buried with their gold and silver, with jewelry, with their chariots, as well as their musical instruments. The city was densely populated with private homes that were several stories tall, some homes with 14 rooms. Trade was carried on with merchants in India, Africa, through the Persian Gulf. Education was valued. They had libraries that circulated through the city. It was one of the most important and progressive and most beautiful cities in the world. 
So can you imagine Abram leaving this progressive city and going out into the desert? Maybe it's kind of like leaving Rome and going to Siberia. <laughs> or leaving Paris and going to the Sahara Desert. It's a dramatic change. For me, it's just the opposite. I left the fields of Alabama and came to the city of Chicago. But when we trust God, we need to be willing to go where he leads us, to a different culture, to a different people. We may not have all that comfort that we had before. We may not feel safe. But we trust that God is in control of our lives and that He will provide for us and He will direct our paths. Poor Abram add to that inconvenience of moving from the city. I don't think they had maps back then. They surely didn't have the navigation systems we have with our phones and our cars. And for him, there was no visible certainty of his future. He had no way of knowing where he was going. God said, just go, and I'll show you. I'll show you. Abraham, Abram was to take steps of faith, to follow God's command, to leave Haran and go to a land that he'd never seen before. Would you have gone? Would you? Would you go now? Would you go now? If God calls you to leave your home, the comfort of family, the familiar, the secure, would you leave your inheritance? Faith steps out in obedience. It doesn't sit still. It believes the bare word of God. It follows whatever God's Word directs. It worships. It leads us to worship God. Even in the midst of pagan belief all around us, it proclaims the name of Jesus Christ for us. Abram made a choice to trust God, and God blessed him. His call came with amazing promises and blessings. And we read in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12, God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Powerful statement. Let's look at a few of these. I will make you a great nation. (laughs) This promise seems to go against all reality. Remember... Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. He had no other children. A painful reality. But Abram was asked to believe this in the dark. And even more, Abram was promised not only to become a great people, but a great nation. His descendants would be a powerful political entity with land and with language and with government. God says, I will make you a great nation. And secondly, he says, I'll bless you. In the Old Testament, somewhat different than New Testament, that blessing meant for the Old Testament believer, blessing included God's gracious provision of well-being, of long life, of wealth, in many cases, 
and peace, abundance of food and crops, children, personal knowledge of who he was and his ways. God blessed Abram, caused him to prosper. We'll see later on. Blessed him temporally. He just blessed him spiritually. So God says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And boy, did he. Abraham is admired by three major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation of Israel. Abraham's, Abraham's name occurs 234 times in the Old Testament. 234 times. And 74 times in the New Testament. Of course, Abraham is that preeminent man of faith in the Bible. Christ talked about his faith. The Apostle Paul talked about his faith. Of course, Jesus Christ, my Messiah, our Savior, came from the lineage of Abram, Abraham. Abraham had the title, uh, that coveted title, friend of God. And again, almost a third of the book of Genesis is devoted to Abraham's life. And how does the New Testament begin? Matthew 1, 1 says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Over and over and over in the New Testament we see a phrase repeated. Abraham believed God. That's what faith is. It's believing God and then acting on that belief. Abraham's name is indeed great. As we study his life, may we all be challenged to believe God, to take him at his word, and to step out in faith. Truly, God blessed Abraham's name. So after these first three phrases, we see God purpose and blessing Abram. He says again, I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. So, is the next word, so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. The purpose of God blessing Abraham so generously was so that he would be a blessing. But to whom was he to be a blessing? And how was Abram to be a blessing? We'll see the, that answer in the next few verses. First he says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. In other words, those whom, who honor Abram, God will bless. And those who curse or those who level insults or accusations against Abram, will bring a curse on their head from God. In verse 3, we find our answer. He says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. This, of course, is a reference to the great Messianic promise fulfilled through Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ. God will bless all the peoples of the world all the families of the world through the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. When verses 4 through 9, we read that 
Abram departed as soon as God commanded him in his call. And Abram was at that point 75 when he left Haran. He took his wife, he took his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people that he had gathered in his household while there. And he headed for the land of Canaan. And he traveled through Canaan as far as Shechem. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar and he dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshipped God. Can you imagine Abram traveling through Canaan to Shechem? And he stops and in full view of the pagans all around him. He built an altar, dedicated it to the Lord, and worshipped him. Abraham believed God. He believed God. Faith is first believing God and then acting on that belief. And Abraham was obedient. He left Haran for Canaan, traveling through the land as far as Shechem. This city was geographically the center of Canaan. And it says at that time, the Canaanites inhabited the area. They, of course, were a very idolatrous people. And because they were there, he could not take the land. As a matter of fact, it would be four or five centuries before Joshua would conquer the land for Israel. But leaving Shechem, Abram traveled south and set up camp in hill country, west of Bethel and, and, uh, and of Ai, or Ai rather, to the east. And there he built an altar and he worshipped the Lord. And then he continued traveling. We see Abram initially taking steps of faith. He was obedient to move on to Canaan. And once there, we see him stopping to build altars to worship God. Again, faith is not just believing God for great things. It's responding to his promises. But we see next that in the midst of it, there's a commitment to live as he desires, considering the circumstances that we're in, that he permits into our lives. And we know that in the midst of difficulties that God builds our faith. Where well, Abram knew that the Lord had called him to leave his home and to travel to this new land. And that takes faith. His faith gave him that determination and courage to live for God in a pagan land. He overcame the struggles of leaving his family and the hostilities of living in a foreign land. He didn't give in to the lifestyle of the pagans around him. It must have been a great feeling. I, I wonder how he felt when he got to Canaan and after those years of waiting in Haran and finally getting there. Maybe his thoughts were, man, there's some momentum here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what God called me to do. Maybe it was a high point for him in his life up to that point. I couldn't help but think of my life and your life when we reach those high points in our lives and I know what your high point in your life is maybe it's a family memory, memory or maybe a vacation maybe graduating from high school or college or getting your first job or maybe getting married 
Um, maybe having your first child, landing that big promotion, buying your dream home, becoming a Christian. Whatever that high point in our life is, we're excited. We experience such great momentum. What do we expect next? If you're like most of us, we expect celebration. We expect satisfaction. We expect joy. We expect rest and peace. Regrettably, sometimes that's not the case. We have to a high point in his life. Abram faced difficulties. And you and I should assume that Satan will attack us also in the midst of our lives. He'll test us. God uses tough circumstances in our lives to build the muscles of our faith to keep us from trusting anything and anyone besides himself. We should expect our faith to be tested just as we'll see that his was. Life is filled with obstacles. And we see in Abram's life so many tests. First, he was called to leave his hometown. His wife was infertile. He had no children. The land that God promised him was inhabited. He went there trusting God, and yet he couldn't settle there. When Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, we find that Abram, this man of faith, was also at times a man who failed. We learned that anyone, regardless of their spirituality, is capable of wavering in our faith. But we find hope that God loves to restore us when we fall. And when our faith fails, God doesn't. His grace is poured out on us. As we look at Abram's life, we see that faith grows gradually as it faces obstacles. After initially being obedient, Abraham or Abram began to take things in his own hands when crises came instead of looking to God. First, we see that he leaves Canaan and goes to Egypt when a famine came. Verse 10 of chapter 12 says that there was a famine in the land and Abram chose to go down. To go down? <laughs> go down to Egypt. Because there was the famine so severe. As I read and studied, it wasn't unusual for people in this area to go down to Egypt to where there was rivers with water and crops. But Abram wasn't just anybody. God had called him to where he was. He didn't turn to God to ask what he should do. He must have been overwhelmed. I can't imagine what he must have felt. He left home. He traveled to this place that he didn't know anything about. And then this famine came overwhelmed with the circumstances that God had dealt him. I wonder what he thought. God, you sent me here. There's no food. He had to feed his family. It was wrong to not look to God. He, he did the natural thing. The natural thing. That was his problem. His going down to Egypt wasn't intentional sin as much as it was a reflex, Right? 
When things happen, we take things into our own hands. We act independently of God without asking Him. We're a lot, aren't we? A lot. Like Abram, we can be. As we face trials, when they come our way, we automatically go to that survival mode. We scheme. We predict. We run through that whole list of what-ifs. We show up our position. We pile up the sandbags in defense. And God, sure, sure, we ask Him to bless our ways. Our ways. Think about Abram, what he did. Almost as quickly as he got to Canaan, he left. God had called him to go to Canaan, and he left. He had trusted God to travel from anywhere from 800 to 1,000 miles through some rough terrain, some dangerous places. He left behind his culture, his family, for the most part, his friends, and much of his possessions. He traveled to a country that he had never been. Why? Because he believed that God was going to make him a great nation. But when he arrives in Canaan with a drought, with a famine, he thinks, I won't live long enough to be a great nation. So what does he do? He goes down. He goes down to Egypt and tries to solve his problems. The man who trusted God for the ultimate, his future, at this point, was not willing to trust him for the immediate. He trusted God for the big things, but not for this immediate thing. This is where we often fail also, isn't it? Do you trust God for your salvation? Do you know this morning as a child of God that you're secure in your faith? And because of God's grace, that when, when you leave this earth, that you're going to heaven... Because of his grace. But do you, are you trusting him now for your job? Are you trusting him for those finances? Are you trusting him with the situation at work? Maybe family problems? Abram lost his faith in God's provision and took things into his own hands. He was motivated by fear. Fear for his life. Fear for his wife's life. You and I should not be surprised when a famine meets us. God uses trials in our lives to build our faith. We don't grow apart from trials. I can look back at my life and I grew the most in my life as I faced difficulty, as I faced crises, as I faced conflict. We should expect them. And when we fail our test that God sends our way, God sends another one. He sends another one for us. Abram's second test was trusting God to protect him in Egypt. Verses 11 through 13 of chapter 12 says that as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Look, you are very beautiful woman. 
And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them that you're my sister. Which, if you remember, is half-truth. She was his half-sister. He says, then they'll spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Verse 14, sure enough, sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai. They saw her beauty. The palace officials sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. She was taken into his palace to be his wife. Pharaoh gave Abram, it says, many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, female donkeys, which are very expensive, male and female servants, camels. Abram became very wealthy because of this situation. You see, Abram was trusting deception for protection instead of trusting God. In Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. He feared for his life. And I think we all could place ourselves in his situation and fear <laughs> easily. The thing is, is he was more afraid of the Egyptians than he was of God. He was so afraid for his own life that he puts his wife, Sarai, in danger. In the midst of crises in our own lives, it's easy to not look to God. But try to work things out ourselves. We'll leave God out. He wants us to seek Him in the midst of crises, in the midst of difficulties. Crises are opportunities to trust God to provide. Let me say that one more time. Crises, difficulties, trials, opportunities for us to trust God. Trust His protection. Trust His provision. To know that He's with us and cares for us. God intervenes and rescues Abram and Sarai when she is taken into Pharaoh's house. Verse 17 says, But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife. God used a pagan king to chastise this man chosen by God, Abram. Think about it. Because of his disobedience, he is humiliated by a pagan. Verses 18 through 20 will read, So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why did you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? And allow me to take her as my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered his men to escort Abram out of the country, along with his wife and all their possessions. 
the easy way of deception ends up being the hard road of humiliation. Twice, Pharaoh asked, Why? Why, Abram? And Abram had no answer. What could he say? <laughs> He'd lied to save his skin? He lied because he was afraid to trust God? He lied because he thought it... He, he even... Uh, into what meant sacrificing his wife to another man he's willing to do it. He lied because he decided he couldn't wait for God to bail him out. He lied because he thought it was the easy way out. He lied because he thought it was the easy way out. I'm not beating up on Abram because he's a man of faith. You see, we are a lot like Abram if we're not careful. We like to take the easy way out. And yours may not be deception, but we all like to take the easy way out. What seemed to be so innocent for Abram almost cost him everything. Think about it. It almost cost him his wife. If God had not intervened, they would have messed up with God's plan. Compromise always starts with one small step away from the path God's called us. And it's followed by another step. And then another step. Pretty soon, we're away from what God has for us. As I said, Pharaoh made Abram wealthy with the many gifts that he gave because of Sarai. Sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, servants, camels. These were very expensive gifts, and it truly made him wealthy. But everything that he received from Pharaoh caused problems. If you remember, and we'll see later on, he'll have trouble later on with his nephew Lot because of his wealth. And Hagar, that Egyptian handmaid that was given to him by Pharaoh, will cause division and much sorrow. Again, God protected his covenant with Abraham. God protected Abram and Sarai. There'll be times in your life, in my life, when we need to trust God instead of taking things into our own hands. How do you and how do I respond in the midst of pressure? When finances are low, when you don't know what the next step is, maybe you're so discouraged, maybe you're angry, well, there's circumstances in your life that are causing you to fear right now. Marriage? Health? What makes you afraid? Abram feared for provision, and then he feared for protection. What are you fearing? And does it threaten your fellowship with God?
in the midst of the crises in our lives, God can give us that peace if we trust him. And when our faith fails, God is faithful. He doesn't. And just as Abram's sin affected his wife and Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household, our sin affects those around us. If we're married, it affects our spouse. If we have kids, it affects our kids. If we have friends, it affects them. Can you imagine what Abram's wife must have felt? Do you... I wonder how many days they went without speaking. <laughs> Can you imagine what she felt? Her husband allowed her to be taken into this king's household to be his wife? What did she feel? You see, my sin affects Chris. My sin affects Zach and Jared. My sin affects you. When we sin, we don't sin like the world says, oh, it just affects you. It's not true. It's not true. Instead of bringing blessings in life, Abram brought cursing to Egypt and to Pharaoh. As the old saying goes, when hard times come, we always have two choices. We can be a student, or we can be a victim. One commentator wrote, a victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, Lord, what can I learn from this? A victim complains that he's being treated unfairly. A student thanks God that he is not being treated as he deserves. A victim tries to get even with those who have hurt him. A student seeks ways to serve others in the midst of difficulty. A victim believes the game of life is stacked against him. A student believes that God is at work even in the most difficult of situations. I don't know what we're facing today as individuals, but I know because of the reality of life that probably many of us are facing difficult situations in our lives. And it's easy for us to fear. To fear that God's going to provide for us. If we've lost a job, we need to be looking, but we've got to trust God, right? Health issues, we have to trust God. And Satan wants to use our fear to push us away. And God wants to use the situation to draw us to himself. I know that God's desire this morning is that instead of complaining when we face difficulties, instead of saying, why me? Boy, isn't that us? Isn't it easy to say, why me, O Lord? Why? Why me? Instead of saying, why me? We're better off to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me? Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you.